Hey, welcome to the Noob Sparrow Podcast. I am your host, Shrek. And uh, if you would like to get some stoke in your spearfishing, build your skills, get inspired, then the Noob Sparrow Podcast is for you. I get all around the place interviewing spearfishing experts, authorities, and characters from around the world and share these interviews for free wherever you listen to podcasts. Now, this week's an absolute uh, treat. I got to go down to Melbourne, care of uh, patrons on the uh, on our Patreon page who support the show on an episode by episode basis. They, the, the Patreon pretty much fully funded a trip to Melbourne, and I was able to do an in-store interview or two interviews at in-store at Adreno in Melbourne there, and also a couple of uh, interviews on the road with people I went out sparing with while I was down there. It was, a, it was an absolute um, pleasure. I really want to do more of this. Uh, it's a bit of a dream come true, um, just travelling around chatting with people, and uh, I don't think I, I killed it, like, uh, <laughs> but uh, I had an absolute ton of fun, and it was really good to meet some listeners and um, get down there in store and um, and and do some live interviews. So an absolute pleasure. Thanks to the guys on Patreon for supporting this, and uh, like I said, real pleasure. I want to get out next trip, hopefully New Zealand in February. Um, just penciling in details at the moment, and then um, possibly a US trip and all. August next year that's where I want to go but I've got to have a look at budgets and all the rest of it but um Anyway, there's three episodes coming up in the next uh, month and a half or so, and this is the first of them. So this is an introduction to Melbourne spearfishing, and uh, I had an absolute ball down there. There's, they've got a real champion crew down there. There's, um, there's, this is a panel interview tonight, so I had on the couch in the Adreno there, I had Luke Latham, who's the manager at the local Adreno shop there. I had Sven Franklin, who's the president of the uh, club Spearfish, and I had James Beckman, who I did a full-length interview with, um, that's also going to come out in the coming weeks. So, um, and the, the the people there I met were just absolute champions. I, I really love Melbourne. Um, I got out diving for a full day with James and uh, and for a full day with Luke Grounia. So I did um, a lot of the stuff inside Port Phillip Bay, and then I got out and snuck out for a day outside the bay as well. Now, I unfortunately, went down there on a shoulder season. Crayfish were I was a week too early for crayfish when the season opens. Um, I was a week too late for squid. Um, I was out of season for southern bluefin tuna the water was too cold for kingies however i did shoot a few fish and i had an absolute ball um some of the prizes the if you know like if you if you don't manage to get fish in melbourne you can always get a feed of scallops mussels and oysters which um which we did and um went out and spent the evening with james at uh, Eckhart's place with his wife and they cooked a huge feed for us so it was an absolute pleasure Eckhart was a former guest on the show go back and I'd encourage you to listen to that one as well but anyway um, tonight's interview is, is is a panel interview with Melbourne I, I don't want to muck around too much let's hook in it's a bloody long inter- uh, intro anyway cracker interview here we go let's get into it now I don't know about you but I love new gear and spearfishing.com.au have got a huge range mad flat shipping rate especially in Australia and if you use the code noobspearer you not only support us but you get $20 off every purchase over $200 that's right pump in the code noobspearer at checkout n-o-o-b-s-p-e-a-r-o at spearfishing.com.au and you will save 20 bucks on every purchase over $200 no brainer thanks Adreno Welcome to the Noob Spirit Podcast. Uh, Luke Latham's going to give us a broad introduction to spearfishing in Mel- Melbourne. It's cold. <laughs> <laughs> um, the beauty of Victoria spearfishing is there's so many different seasons, very diverse. Um, it's not the same year in, year out. 
So um, we have cray season kicking off in about a week and a half here on the 16th, and that's going to go for six months. So the energetic part of the season is really going to be chasing crays. Um, the kingfish are moving down. Um, they're either over in South Australia or in New South Wales, but as the water warms, uh, they do come down here. Um, and we're chasing them shore diving and on boats. Uh, the rest of the time, it's a lot of like hunter-gatherer type of stuff in the bay. Um, it's a lot of shallow diving, three, four meters. So we just come through a, a squid season or a calamari season. It's been really strong for the last, I'd say, month and a half. Um, and it's still on. You kind of have to know where to go and, and be lucky with it, and it'll kick on probably for another week or two. Scallops in the bay are year-round. Um, there's certain seasons where they're they're fatter, but that's like the consolation prize. If you got a boat, you can chase crazy in the heads, but you can always come back in the bay and, and pick up a feed. So it's, it's kind of all those ones. Shrek, I know you like to ask about King George Whiting. Yeah. Um, it is definitely prized. It's just very hard to get onto those little guys. Yeah. But um, they have been schooling. Um, even a couple months ago, we're seeing schools of like 80 to 100 together. So it is a seasonal thing. They're lovely little things, but it's probably just not the first fish that will, will tick off on the list. But that kind of gives you the, the, the four seasons of spearfishing here. Uh, Temperature-wise, it gets really cold in winter. It kind of hovers around that 11 mark, but some people try to hit 10s, 9s if um, you go through thermoclines. Uh, the bay being shallow, it actually gets colder than the ocean in winter, and it gets hotter in the summer. So it definitely heats up. Up here in summer, we'll hit probably about 22, 23 degrees. And you kind of expect 20 to 21 in the ocean. Um, so some guys will tough it out in a three mil. But mostly, if you're going to have one wet seat for the whole season, it's going to be a five mil. A little bit warm in summer. Um, and you can flush and definitely cold. Padding out with good gloves and socks and five mil will, will keep you in the water longer. So it's kind of like a mix like that. Seven mil through winter or most of the time outside of summer. Uh, and I'm exactly the same. So seven mil is, is probably three quarters of the year. And then fading into a little bit of five mil and, and playing different things in, in a thinner suit on a sunny day. Um, so it's a mix like that. Just a little bit of a punt for Adreno. I mean, you, um, Adreno have sponsored the Noob Spirit podcast since like episode 20. They've definitely helped pay the bills. But I think one of the best things about having a physical spearfishing store that you can go to is you can find local knowledge with people that work there that are real passionate about the sport. Um, I think finding a local retailer when you start out and um, joining a spearfishing club are two of the, the most important things you can do. And um, so this is a good touch point for guys in um, the Melbourne area for sure. I wanted to move on to Dusky Morwong, which is apparently <laughs> apparently James's uh, bread and butter. Look, I'm, I'm not uh, up for the challenge most of the time there. They're quite a hard fish to, to target. But a lot of guys do uh, target them successfully, and I, I think I need to uh, get a few tips from uh, some of the other guys on how to successfully get to those. I got around and I met a few of the guys before in here, and um, two of the fellas, uh, quite sprightly fellas, they, they uh, shot some dusky moong and they, they were quietly chuffed with themselves. They shared their catch on... Um, Spearfishing Victoria is the Facebook group here, is it? And they got mocked. What, what is that about? <laughs> what is that about? Uh, yeah, definitely uh, one of the beginner fish to target. But 
I uh, one one wise man once said to me, "There's no bad fish in the ocean. There's just bad chefs." So I think all those guys mocking them are just bad chefs. Yeah. I think like the stigma you get as you get more experience, like those first few fish you shoot, they they taste better than any other fish you've ever had before in your life. Sven, what do you what do you have to say about dusky mormon? Is that where you got started? Nothing gets the heart racing more than a big dusky rolling in. <laughs> Like through the roof, like I've been there, and then I've had times where you're in really bad viz, and you'll see a shadow coming in, and you think like oh, I've cracked it. There's a big snapper rolling in or something, but then it's a dusky, and yeah, you just have to. Ah, uh, so Sven, what's your uh, biggest dusky? <laughs> <laughs> Tell, take us there in the moment. Uh, you're at 25 meters. I was in about three meters of water. Um, we had unsuccessfully been hunting kings. For the day, and I just need to shoot something to get some uh, anger out, and used it for burly, and still nothing came in. Safe, sustainable, selective. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, my biggest dusky is three and a half kilos, and again, it was in about three meters of water, and it was uh, yeah one of those situations where. Saw this big fish coming along and thought, you beauty, just plugged it from a mile away and it fought pretty hard, to be honest. So <laughs> dragged me around a bit and... Uh, I, the atmosphere float. That's it. I can claim to have landed that and eaten, eaten it and it was... Uh, yes, I'll pass that on. <laughs> I can't apart, contribute. Apart from Dusky Moore, what does another species guys can start on here? Like You've, you've mentioned scallops and crays. We've talked about the, the elusive moor. Um, what's another species maybe guys would look at? Leather I think leather jackets is where it starts, and that's actually a decent feed. Um, as far as eating quality and, and flavor, um, there's not much sportsmanship in it because they are right there at the rock. So hand catching them is where you kind of make it sportsmanship. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> catch and release. Um, but then moving into what we have is snook. Um, and they're kind of a really good sized fish, um, pushing up to 75 centimeters typically. And that's a good feed Couple out of the kilo. bay. Couple kilo. Yeah. So through summer, that will be a, a good tasting fish that um, if you come up behind them, uh, above them, uh, at a 45, you'll, you'll actually close the gap quite well. Um, I find if you swim down, you're looking at them, they'll always keep that four and five meter kind of distance typically. So it's, it's very similar to a whiting. If you come up behind them, um, you can kind of just be right on top of them and shoot down. So it's a pretty easy fish to, to close that gap and still really flavorful and, and good to eat. And also, Luke smoked one before, and you could not tell the difference between that or the smoked king that he had. It was that good. Smoking fish is um, something that we do a lot in New Zealand, um, along with smoking everything else. But... Um, <laughs> <laughs> I had to do that to Sven. Um, but um, it's something I've rediscovered up in, um, in Queensland. We've started smoking a lot of fish, me and, a, and, a, and another Kiwi mate, funnily enough. Um, you guys smoke a lot of fish down here? Yeah, I um, last, last summer got a big smoker and I think for three weeks straight, Luke and I shot a shit ton of different species and smoked it until we were sick of smoked fish. So, yeah, but like... The bluefin smoked, amazing, like 
I think one way you can smoke fish too is cryovac it after, and you can leave it in the fridge for a little while. It freezes pretty good, so it's another way to do your fish. Um, right after you brine it, or uh, after you smoked it, or look, are you an expert here? We are. No, no, no. <laughs> nah, look, my my mate's been doing it. To be honest, I think um, a lot of guys buy. Aldi have these periodic um, seasonal sales, and their smoker actually that they sell there is pretty good. Um, yeah, a lot of guys brine it and different things and add brown sugar and all the rest of it. Um, I'm not an expert, so I'm not going to go into it any further. It's probably an episode for the future. I was talking with Kim from Southern Freediving, Kim, and we were talking a bit about um, competition um, spearfishing here and how um, it can be of benefit in terms of like tuning one species at a time. Um, Sven, I know you really only started how long ago? Three years ago? So um, after we, we had King George Whiting, um, we mentioned the dusky moorwong. What are some species that, that you've, um, you've developed a little bit over time? So another good one for beginners is sweep. Um, they're readily available. Um, they're quite a fun one to, to shoot. Also trumpeter, um, a bit harder to come across, but trump, delicious, delicious. Um, and also... I guess what other your magpie perch and so with the with these early species, what 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 are your basic hunting techniques, your go tos, for 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 these first basic species? These ones are a lot easier because they're not going to run and hide as much. Um, so you can have a terrible duck dive, splash everywhere, make lots of noise, and they will still hang around and sort of be in that shooting range. So it does make it a bit easier to sort of target them. You're not having to. You know, sit down on the bottom, have a massive breath hold, throw sand up or scratch the rocks or grunt or anything. Um, so, like, for beginners, those are definitely pretty pretty good fish. Um, something that's a little bit more advanced, um, but it, it's personally what I find a lot of fun um, and I recommend will help finding crayfish is actually looking in, in holes with a, uh, a torch and try find some rockling. Um, personally, I think it's the best tasting fish we have in Victoria. They're the ugliest thing you've ever seen. Um, big, kind of eel-like, um, sort of leopardish skin on them, um, just full of slime. But uh, yeah, the flesh is like pure white, and it's got the most beautiful fluorescent uh, like rainbows running through it. Okay. I can cook it however, and it's going to be the best fish. You guys have all got a couple of years' experience under your belt. Um, Luke talked about snook, so approaching them from top down on an angle um, with the fish moving away from you, yeah? Um, obviously, that's a technique you can use successfully on that fish. You've just talked about hunting in holes with a torch. Um, we seem to forget all these steps that we make to learn these techniques. Um, maybe James can help us out. What are some of the techniques that you learned straight up to help start and getting runs on the board? First up, I think comp diving is the best way to start spearfishing. If you go to the competitions, you'll see what other divers are doing. They've got different techniques. They, you know, some guys are really effective using torches in the caves and ledges. Other guys snoop the uh, weed lines and sand lines. But you generally pick up a lot of techniques you ask the guys oh how did you shoot that fish at the end of the day or that fish or they might just tell you anyway um, and they yeah you really pick up a lot of information and specifically for comp diving it is the 
best way to fast track your uh, fish scents in the water. And what I mean by that is if you are, if you dive down and you can see a whole bunch of fish in front of you, if you're pretty switched on with the area and you kind of know what's going on, you kind of know what those fish are and you'll also know if something stands out like one of the oddballs or the more targeted fish like a snapper or something like that and uh, yeah you just got clued on to sort of how how that area is working and you kind of it takes less time to process oh there's some good fish out this way or on the opposite scale there's no fish here let's move on and so I can definitely say that competitions join one of the clubs talk to the guys that have been diving for longer than us or you know the competition divers and they will just <laughs> drip feed you information and drip feeds the word, yeah they? And they, they don't give it all to you no they don't though. But you can slowly bribe them, and a couple of the guys <laughs> love uh, love the beers down here. So yeah. you shout them a few beers, and after half a dozen or so, they're pretty free talkers. In fact, you can't shut them up. <laughs> you gave us a bit of an overview before of the sort of the, the months, Luke. Um, I think a lot of the battle of, of shooting fish successfully, yeah, there's the hunting technique side of it, but before that, there's just getting in the right spot at the right time. A, a lot of it's luck. Um, since you've moved here, uh, have you learned any um, things about structure and current and how they interact in this particular area? Definitely. Um, <clears throat> so I've been in the area for just about three years now, and actually one of the things is just driving to the, the dive sites. Um, used to be lost driving down Cape Shank and stuff like that, zigzagging through these roads. Um, so that's before you even get in the water, um, is, is sorting that out. Uh, the next part is sorting out the gear. Um, I moved down here with a 110 Rife, and I still use it to this day in certain situations in the, the shallow waters of the bay. Um, but actually tuning your gear before you even get to that dive site. Um, both in the bay and the back beaches, there's really strong currents. Um, the bay just has tidal currents, uh, which is changing all, every six hours, and it goes through a very narrow channel. Um, so all these areas that we're diving closer to the heads, uh, the currents are so strong you can't actually swim against them. So timing high tide or low tide, we call it slack tide, uh, it's super important in those areas. Um, and even on the back beaches and some of the, the points and pinnacles that we dive, that's where current um, sometimes it's unpredictable. Um, it isn't set on a tide necessarily, but it's just where is the current going and you get into those situations. So um, in combination of having a float and a float line, the piece of equipment that's really tuned to Victoria is having a float line anchor. Um, and it's just a one kilo weight. Sometimes it has spearfishing floppers that'll engage in the, the rocky reef. Um, but once you, you find a ledge that you want to hunt and you're seeing good bait fish, um, it's a place where you can have your flasher for kingfish. If you can deploy your flasher and this um, anchor in that area, you could actually stay dive after dive in that same spot. Um, I've had it off of Cape Shank where you have one dive, perfect. Um, and there's a ledge, 14 meters, and you go up and you do a two minute breathe up. And the next dive you do, hit 10 meters flat bottom and all you see is leather jackets. Um, and it's the next six dives going up current, trying to find that ledge over and over again. And it, it takes 45 minutes. And, and by that time, you're, you're wore out. Um, 
So in combination with all that air equipment, having that little anchor on there um, really, really helps. That was exactly the kind of information I was digging for, especially when you're in limited vis. Like, we've all experienced that. It only needs to be a really slight current, and you lose exactly where you are. If you've got a sick ledge and it's full of craze, it's loaded up, there's nothing like going back up for a breathe up and then coming down and it's sand rubble and weed, and you're just like, yep, the day's over. Is there any apps you guys use around here, uh, weather apps or conditions apps or otherwise? Google Maps is probably the biggest, just doing a lot of time on the computer, just searching. Luke will call me up and he'll be like, oh, check out this spot. And like, we'll just try and suss it out, um, just see what we can make out, how far off it is and, and all that. Um, Navionics is probably the other go-to. Mainly just to check areas for depth, um, kind of get a rough idea of like the topography that you're going to be sort of going in and yeah also just judging distance from area to area and for navionics the one of the best things about it is finding offshore pinnacles or bombies that you don't see on the google maps but yeah we use google maps extensively but on that sort of a bit further offshore where they cut the image off it's navionics will show you like workups and ground, good ground? Uh, webcams is a, a huge help. So when I first moved down here, you'd think the weather looks good or you have that one day off midweek and you're diehard ready to go and you drive an hour and a half to get down to just complete whitewash in the ocean. Um, so triggerbrothers.com.au, I believe it is. Um, I've said that on my mobile as a, a shortcut and it just goes to webcams. And um, so you can see exactly what's happening in the ocean how big uh, the swells are, and, and a bit of the spray coming off of that swell. Um, you can really see what's happening with the wind. And um, even up here in the bay, there's yacht clubs that have live stream of their cameras. Some of those you can click and actually control yourself while you're, you're viewing. So you can actually hone down onto the where the rock walls are meeting the water and, and actually seeing what happens. Um, or you can vis check. Sometimes the, the water is so clean that you can actually see contours out there so that really, really helps before you go diving. Weather apps, like everywhere in Australia you go, everyone says different apps. Obviously, BOMB provide most of the data. However, some people don't particularly like the way the BOMB um, app renders the data. Like sometimes it's, it's a bit more broad, whereas some of the other apps get a bit more specific and they can be more useful. They can be useful for comparing and contrasting. Have you guys got any apps that you like to use around here? Yeah, Windy's become a pretty popular one down here. Um, I found in the last sort of six to eight months, the bomb became pretty unreliable um, in terms of its wind information. At one point, it was always on the money and then just gradually wasn't as um, reliable. Um, I know a lot of the the other apps will run off bomb information, but um, yeah, Windy's definitely a really easy one to navigate around as well. Today I've got a sweet offer for you. To go with this free episode of the Noob Spirit podcast, I've got access to some free courses. How cool is that? Go to noobspirit.com forward slash Ted. Now Ted Hardy from Immersion Freediving, a frequent guest on the Noob Spirit podcast, has got several free courses available at noobspirit.com forward slash Ted. Check it out, Freediving Safety. There's a full video course about how to avoid shallow water blackout, how to be a good buddy, all is the fundamentals of just being a good safe Spiro and it's all free. 
check it out, nosparrow.com forward slash TED. There's another one in there as well about how to take a 20 to 30% bigger breath, which will give you more fuel, more time on the bottom and uh, make you a more effective spirit. There's also a whole lot of other courses there as well. Check them out, get a 15% discount, nosparrow.com forward slash TED. Today's Noob Spirit podcast is also proudly brought to you in partnership with penetratorfins.com. Get on there, guys. Have a look at some of the designs they've got. They've got clears. The blacks are beautiful. Check out the Noob Spirit custom Oki print. It's mad as well. Larry's got a full range of wicker designs, and he's got a beautiful finish on his fins. He's uh, recently updated his manufacturing process. It's even better than it was before. He makes some of the best fins in the world. And uh, to, to make that offer even sweeter, Pump in the code Noob Spiro at checkout and save another 20 bucks. Penetratorfins.com. Support the Noob Spiro podcast by shopping with our sponsor. So we've covered weather and conditions. We've gone into species a little bit. What about rules and regs? What websites uh, and competing bits of legislation sort of govern spearfishing in this area? So all the information is on the Victorian Fisheries website. We don't have uh, conflicting zoning like you guys do in Queensland. There's, it's just all one management body and all the information is there. So Victorian Fisheries, they've got an app. It's really simple to use. It has all the information there. It's not the nicest looking app, but it's got everything you need. Um, and yeah all that information is there but yeah we don't have different zonings we don't have different like crossover managers like I know you guys have in the Sundays when I went up there and tried to spearfish up there and it was uh, it was a nightmare trying to figure out what the three different levels of authorities have over that that region there's a reef that I really want to dive it's in 22 meters of water and you're only allowed to dive to 15 meters how the hell do they police that you know what I mean? Like yeah. sometimes it gets a bit ridiculous. I mean they're making efforts for a reason, but sometimes it's hard to understand. Anyway, gather your thoughts, gentlemen. If you've got any more comments on spearfishing in Melbourne, I wanted to go to these guys and see if they had any questions about Melbourne spearfishing, Melbourne species. So okay. I'll just repeat your question. Go. That way I don't have to move. Can you tell us the legal requirements for a flag and float in Victoria? Legal requirements for a float and flag in Victoria. I believe that the legal requirements are only around a boat. So you legally have to have a flag and float on a boat when you are diving off a boat. Uh, but personal, like a diver, single diver shore diving on the water, I believe that you don't have to have a flag and float. But I could be wrong. It's a good idea. It's a great idea, especially when you're diving in Victoria. But there's also minimum sizes around the uh, the floats, uh, the flags on the boats as well. We're going to have to actually figure out what the authority actually says on that. But I believe it's any diver in the ocean needs a, a dive flag. Um, in Victoria, there is a minimum size limit for a boat flag, and that is different than what goes on our floats when we go spearfishing. Um, but I'm under the, under the impression that any diver offshore, be it the bay or the ocean, uh, needs to have a, a dive flag. Obviously, the legislation's been put there for a reason to, to stop people from getting run over by boats. Um, but sometimes it does become ponderous. But you guys recent in recent times have had a couple of divers run over by boats, yeah? Um, can you guys elaborate on what actually happened? Because I'm, I'm kind of in the dark about it. So it was my understanding that a couple of guys were 
in pretty shallow water just off the shore. They were just shore diving um, off uh, one of the popular towns along the coastline. They had flags and floats and uh, one of the boats uh, didn't see them and he collected one of the guys uh, and he was stopped by the other diver and was, uh, yeah, didn't realise that the situation occurred when they had hit a diver uh, and then drove off. So he didn't realise that he'd hit the diver, drove off, um, and they, the police were pretty onto it. So they put out a big campaign to get to sort of find him, and they did find him. And I'm not sure what the outcome was of that situation, but one of those situations where perhaps the the driver of the boat isn't aware of what a flag signifies in the bay and I know that it's part of the licensing requirement to get your boat license you have to know that what a dive flag is but a lot of guys either forget that or they're not remembering it um, so it's a situation where he perhaps wasn't aware of what that flag was doing or it could have been a situation where he couldn't see the flag if he's looking into the glare or if there's chop um, I just don't know the specifics of that situation so yeah it's an unfortunate situation i'd love to impress that all divers are aware of their other water users including swimmers and divers and uh yeah it's something that's super unfortunate that's happened but yeah it's a bit of a serious topic but i think it's a compelling reason to make sure everyone has a float and flag even though sometimes they don't work um and on a different note um one of the things i'm sort of intrigued by is um, you've got a big body of enclosed water here, which in my experience, when I did a lot of scuba diving, sort of often meant that you had a big nursery. So like the, the enclosed water serves as a nursery for a lot of um, species to grow to mature size before they head out into the open water. Is that how it works along here? Is sometimes in the bay pretty disappointing from a trophy hunting perspective? Um, in comparison of diving Brisbane, Sydney, and then finally down here, uh, our snapper population is amazing and it really has to do with this shallow water estuary that we have. Um, in contrast, diving off of um, Bondi and places like that in Sydney, they're on a little bit of sand just on the edges of the beaches and legislation you can only spearfish 20 meters onto the, the sand beach. So down here you can pretty much go anywhere in the bay and come across snapper. Um, and they may be small but they're in the hundreds. Um, hook and line guys are getting them up to seven kilos and this is really snapper season it's just turning on um, and there's guys getting fish that are kind of in the, the three kilo mark which is actually really prized really good fish um, so they're they're tricky fish um, they do come in on burly uh, they like to stay quite far away from you um, so that definitely is a prized fish but the beauty of it is that there's a lot of them so you can spend a lot of time in the water with them and, and learn the little tricks and, and how to get closer and closer to them. There are species that a lot of people try to figure out, and sometimes it's weird, the people that shoot the big ones. They're not the people you maybe necessarily expect. Uh, any more questions from out there, guys? Any questions about Melbourne spearfishing? Okay, so beginning question, how can we improve our breath hold for spearfishing, Sven? So outside of the water, um, there's a few good ones to do. Uh, the one that I'd probably recommend the most uh, would be doing apnea walks. So holding your breath and walking X amount of paces, uh, rest for a certain amount of time and then do more walks and just do that over a period of you know, 10, 20 minutes 
Um, you can even do it up and down flights of stairs. Uh, if you're working in the city, for instance, and you're walking from your office to somewhere. Um, just, just explain to him briefly why that works. Uh, it just really helps build up your CO2 tolerance. Um, that, that's going to be your first and main reason why you're not holding your breath as long. Um, it's just your body's not accustomed to all that CO2 buildup um, in the lungs and in the bloodstream. So once you normalize that, um, then you'll start to come through different phases and everything. But as a, as a beginner, it's going to be the best way to see a big increase in your breath hold. Your other way is doing um, dry statics, so like a static breath hold um, on the couch or you know laying on your bed or whatever. Um, but I think you'll probably see more improvement on the apnea walks purely because in spearfishing we are, you know, you've got the dive down aspect as well as just sitting on the bottom and coming back up. So you're still burning through all that, uh, you know, oxygen and through all the movement producing more carbon dioxide as well. Um, so you're replicating that more through the walks as opposed to just sitting there and holding your breath. Sven's recently just touched down at 40 metres too, so he's extensively gone through breath hold training. Um, I was going to add, I really like the idea of doing a, a free dive training group where they understand spearfishing and you're in a swimming pool and not by yourself and everyone sort of looks out for each other because um, the swimming pool is a controlled environment. You don't have a spear gun um, and you can work on your finning technique um, your streamlining, all of these very small things make a huge difference to the amount of time you're able to spend on the bottom. It's not some big magic breathing technique um, and it doesn't happen overnight. It's just something you work out over a period of time. And the biggest key to it, it you'll hear it again and again and it literally took me two and a half years to realise it. Relaxation is the biggest key to having a better breath hold. The more relaxed you can become, the longer you will be able to hold your breath. It's pretty simple but it takes a long time for that to actually click in. I was going to say the other thing when I when I was diving where I started, it was it was shallow like a lot of the Melbourne conditions as well. And um, when you're diving less than ten meters, there's a real bad habit you get into where you dive, come up, and don't spend enough time on the surface because you're like, ah, it's only six eight meters or whatever. I can do whatever I want. I feel good. I'm diving again. You've only been on the surface for forty five seconds, and yet you're trying to hold a minute or a minute or more on the bottom or whatever the number is, right? Um, just try and be disciplined about doubling that time on the surface and that will help you relax as well. Um, there's some great stuff around online. There's heaps of apps. Noob Spiro's, I'll, I'll pump Noob Spiro. <laughs> Noob Spiro's got an article called, uh, I think it's um, seven uh, dry training exercises for spearfishing. So there's a bit more in there about the apnea walk and CO2 tables. There's all sorts of stuff you can do. All good? All right, anyone? Kim, you had a question? I've got a question for James. Okay. You said you dive off a jet ski. Do you lose much gear off it? Or... Oh, that was a question from Kim uh, mocking James about losing shitloads of gear off his jet ski. Yeah, so my, my the bulk of my diving is off a jet ski and I will have laid claim to losing about a $3,000 camera off the back of it. I've lost uh, $600 fins, uh, miscellaneous gear. Um, and yeah, it's been a long learning curve that I have uh, figured out by tying everything down and uh, securing it with some pretty heavy gear. But yeah, we've lost a lot of gear. We continue to lose a lot of gear. Everyone who buys a jet ski knows 
and has been told by everyone else who has a jet ski, you're going to lose gear, and yet we all still lose gear off it. It's just one of those things. Tell you what, can you send me a picture of your jet ski fully rigged up with everything tied down, maybe from a couple of angles? I'll put it in today's show notes. It'll be noobspira.com forward slash Melbourne, and then people can come and have a look at your travesty of a spearfishing vehicle. Um, all right, that good question, Kim. G'day, man. Yeah, got two questions. Um, so one is relating to the jet ski. Um, so my friend has one, but we're having trouble with the anchor and anchoring in sand. Um, would it? Do you, I just wanted to know what anchor you use, and also if you might consider using two anchors if the first anchor wouldn't anchor down. Okay, jet ski anchor question. So I use a one kilo anchor. It's just like a sand pla- uh, anchor. It's plastic, uh, and I've got about three and a half metres of chain. I wish it had about four and a half to five metres of chain on it. And then I've got a 50 metre anchor line, which is about 18 mil rope on that. I use a mooring line attached to the front of the jet ski to moor onto that anchor rope. So it's easier to pull on from the from the jet ski itself. I've had my jet ski, the only times I've had it break anchor was when I was anchoring in 25 metres of water in 30 to 35 knot winds and it broke anchor but after about 10 minutes so you just have to go swim after it and collect it and try and re-anchor but every other time it's fine. um, Also just uh, my other question was uh, I've been trying to look for squid so what kind of terrain do you squid in? So the question was uh, trying to locate squid and get onto squid in Victoria Uh, so Right now, we're probably towards the end of the squid season, uh, but it's probably still on. comes in waves. There's like a week or two weeks at a time when they're really hot and you'll get onto them and then it'll go cold for a week or two and then come back on. So you never really know when it's finished until we kind of keep looking and that two weeks off is three weeks off or four weeks off and we just go searching other places. Um, do you have any idea what triggers the waves? Wouldn't have a clue. Any probably suspicions? probably the amount of time that we're in the water. <laughs> like, they're generally more there when we're there and, you know, if we've got a week or two off, we can't see them and we're like, oh, no, they're not there. But we don't, I don't know specifically, but they definitely come in in waves and they're thick in places for a week or two. What places? What does the ground look like? So I've caught squid all over Victoria from inside the bays through to outside in the ocean. Uh, For spearing them, I'm generally spearing them in three to five metres of water. Uh, And I'm looking for weed patches or broken rubble where they might be holding out. Uh, There's two kind of two techniques I use to catch squid. Firstly, I look for the squid eggs. They're coming in to breed into the shallow find the squid eggs you might see them around or they might be sort of like a week or two or a month old so they're not there so you need to keep searching for newer ones the other technique is to use a flasher like a kingfish kingfish flasher or like a spanish mackerel flasher something shiny in the water and they'll come in and they'll go for that so you can shoot them off the back of that Uh, but typically the best ground that I can tell you to search is uh, the southern Port Phillip Bay, Queenscliff, Portsea through to Rye. Uh, that's sort of the better area. 
also Flinders and uh, Western Port. But honestly, they get them all throughout Victoria, and I've shot them Oceanside, Bayside, Top of the Bay, Bottom of the Bay, East Side, West Side. They're pretty much everywhere. But yeah, he's a cowboy. He just shoots everything everywhere. <laughs> ne the next question. Uh, for someone who is going after the cray for the first time, what are some of the tips and tricks uh, you would give in terms of locating the first location? I'm going to hand this one off to Luke. How'd you catch? Did you catch your first cray here? I think I was catching crays in California, actually, before moving over to Australia. Um, lobster. Lobster. Spiny crays in California. Um, it comes down a few key pieces of equipment. Um, first off, we're using a, a small torch so we can look in caves and holes. Um, it's very rare that you'll ever see feelers or any part of the cray from the surface. Um, so we're actually going down and looking maybe a meter or around a corner into a cave. And the purpose of the torch is just faster that your eyes don't have to adjust and they do light up. They're, you know, they're orange and kind of reddish and yellow color. Um, so it makes that very easy. The second part is really good gloves. Um, I caught a cray last season. Um, I was using three mil gloves or a surf glove and had glue all over the stitching. I thought that was going to be really sturdy, um, which it was on the stitching, but the cray went straight through the glove. And, um, on a Sunday afternoon, I got poked three different areas and that's kind of what happens. Um, but midweek, uh, one of the little holes that started to pester and, and get infected, um, and that middle finger swelled up probably like the size of two of my fingers together. And I couldn't move it anymore. That wasn't um, from a crayfish, sorry. Well, well, that's the thing, is it wasn't from the crab, but the, the little hole was there. But it was a, a bacterial infection. Stop using one part, <laughs> So. Bring it. But good gloves. Um, so I'm using thicker gloves now. Some guys were like real thin gloves where it's more delicate and you can actually feel the cray better. Um, but you definitely need a good gloves where you're not hesitant. You can go full on and, and grab the cray um, and get poked and all that type of stuff and, um, and not be afraid of it. Um, there is different types of grass and things on rocks that I think um, the seagrass, I think crays are with it. Um, and also the types of holes. If It's a hole so big that you can easily swim into you probably won't find crays in it. So it's, the holes are a little bit more difficult to get into. Um, and I see that cracks running, um, I guess, parallel. will parallel to the beach and, and actually where the waves and the current aren't smashing it as much. Um, and that's where the crays kind of, they run up and down those cracks. Um, so New South Wales, a lot more of that happens, um, but down here it's still kind of the same. Um, so if you're seeing caves where you're seeing sand being pushed in and out of them, I think that's too much current and water motion. Um, they just like to hang out, just protected next to that current. With crays, a lot of you guys overestimate how big they're going to be because you see these big feelers and you think, that's a big cray. And then you pull it out and you're like, it's, it's a tiny. Um, try not to disturb them if, the, if you're not going to take them. Get a good bearing on how big they are before you grab them. Sometimes you can't, but just try and do your best. The other thing is you get soft shells, and um, you, don't, you don't take them when they're soft. They're, they're exchanging shells. The other thing is when they're in berry, uh, which means they've got eggs up under the tail, um, leave them alone as well. 
um, ethics around crayfish is pretty important. Kimmy Werner actually taught an awesome thing on the podcast. She said when you find a good cray hole, that cray hole might be good for five years. Like it'll be full every year you go back if you don't take them all, you know. Um, but she said not to leave broken feelers and legs in the hole because then they won't go back there. Um, I don't know how true it is here in Australia, but in a Hawaiian context it worked. And I've sort of stuck to that ever since because I thought that, like if it's a good sheltered hole, you want to preserve that for them so you've got an ongoing source of, of crayfish. And um, you, you break legs and you break feelers when you start. It's almost guaranteed. Um, Sven, have you got a war story with crays? Oh, I've come across, I've been pretty lucky with some of them. I've come across my best and biggest crays. Um, sitting out in the open sitting on some grass and i've also dropped them at the surface because you're not holding on to them tight enough so good good piece of advice is when you've got it just give it the death grip because all they have to do is just kick with that tail and they're gone they're back in another hole that's another hour and a half you're spending just trying to get that one thing back out so all like when luke was saying when you've got thin gloves and you grabbed it and then it moves and a spine goes into your skin you let it go yeah yeah and then with the bigger ones they'll also try to reach behind and they can't when they're bigger they can reach behind and they'll really just try to get a grip on any of your fingers and they'll just try and break those fingers because you got to remember that thing's trying to survive for its life so it doesn't care if it's going to hurt you so yeah any more crayfish question man did you have any more thank you now nah, cool who's that who else i'll uh, we'll go we'll go behind yep yeah um have you guys targeted gummy shark and Have if we, so, how'd you go about it? Ooh, sharks. What a controversial topic. James, you're the man for that. I have shot a gummy shark, and they're probably one of the most sustainable sharks that you can target here in Victoria. Uh, they're pretty, uh, yeah, they're pretty uh, popular for the line fishermen, and they're quite common across our coastline. Uh we find them in typical areas you might find uh snapper perhaps like uh semi deeper so like 10 meter eight 10 meter rubbly ground in the bay through to sort of offshore reefs that are like that 10 meter depths uh they are really hard fighting fish and the 12 kilo gummy that i shot uh, absolutely pretzeled my spear. It was a seven and a half mil spear, and it just bent it like it was uh, it was nothing. Uh, they're not. They don't really have a sort of a sense of fear of you, like perhaps a snapper will. It will see you and dart off. These sharks are kind of just going about their business. So if you can get onto one, you might have a good chance at landing a good shot at one. And so try and just take that extra bit of time to to land a good shot, otherwise you'll get dragged around. I got dragged around for 40 minutes trying to land that fish. Um, but yeah, they're delicious fish. Uh, one of the things you might want to consider is uh, cleaning it out and uh, removing the fins straight away. I hear that sort of, that spoils the flesh if you sort of like leave the guts and the gills in and uh, the fins on. Uh, one of the other tricks is to, once you process the the shark put it in the freezer for a few months and it uh it really like takes out all the the ammonia taste and the smell out of it and it can it's honestly one of the tastiest fish that i've i've eaten after you sort of like leave it in there for a little longer uh but yeah it's less 
I guess you see a lot less of it in on the social media because it is a bit of a controversial issue, but let me tell you that there's guys out there shooting a lot of sharks and they're delicious fish. Well, I think we've got time for two more questions before we stop and finish off the beer and pizza, but then we can have some more informal questions, but just two more. Do you want the tampon? All right. Oh, right, okay. Bread hole. What's your typical bread hole? Uh, Luke, you, 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 you boast the biggest one, so let's go. <laughs> <laughs> what's the, what the uh, strive for? Look, look, uh, I'll let him give you, you go. Uh, my typical breath hold here is probably 50 seconds and probably pushes like a minute 10 for the most fish that I'm shooting around here. Um, my breath hold is much larger than that in free diving. Um, so, but yeah, most dives are kind of that minute, minute and a half type of thing. Um, to be honest, most of my dives here are 14 meters. And that would be in the ocean. Um, there's times where you push 18s and 20s, but most of the the fish life and the, the reef life will be kind of like 10, 12s, and 14s. Um, when I chase crays, I actually prefer the shallower type of territory. Um, the purpose of that is the boats are actually hitting the the deeper areas. So if you can find good ledges that are in five and six meters, it's untouched by scuba divers and and hookah divers. Um, so you kind of work on these areas that make it easier diving for yourself. And, um, but the bay, the, the only reason why you need a long breath hold is, is chasing snapper and, um, and just playing those games. I think the rest of it, 30 seconds, 35 seconds in the bay. So you can do a lot of damage. Yeah, my breath hold is typically less than a minute and two minutes on the surface. One down, two up. That's my working time. If I'm chasing craze, like Luke said, I hate chasing deep crays. I would much rather chase a four metre cray, in which case my dive times are about 30 seconds, give or take. And then if I'm searching for them, maybe a minute up, swim along the ledge and uh, find another short, shallow dive. But one down, two up is my go-to. You don't need a long dive, honestly, to, to shoot fish, particularly in Australia and New Zealand where our fisheries are still really good. Um, I think I think if when you get up to a minute, you're doing well. Um, it takes a, a f- quite a few people a long time to get there. I remember when I first started, two guys that I looked up to, they were really experienced. Their max dive times were maybe 70 or 80 seconds, and they were diving 20 metres. So, you know, like <coughs> you, you can t- you can travel 25 metres in, in about 20, 25 seconds. So if, if you're going down to 25 metres, it takes you 20 seconds to get there. You spend 20 seconds on the bottom and 20 seconds up, it's a minute. You know, if you think about it that way. So there's a lot of hunting you can get done in a small window of time. You only have to watch some GoPro footage to realise how much happens in a very short amount of time spearfishing. I mean, too, with spearfishing, you're using so many different muscles. You know, you're using your neck. If your neck's being used, your shoulder's being used, your back's being used. Every single time a, a muscle's being used, it's burning up oxygen, right? So when you're looking around for fish, you're burning through so much o- oxygen. Um, so, I mean... Yeah, your breath holds will be a lot shorter when you are spearfishing and your mind's so active, that's burning through oxygen. So, yeah, a minute down here in Victoria, you're laughing. Like, you, you'll be able to get everything. I mean, my dive time's generally 45 seconds to a minute. Um, I'm not really pushing more, but if I had to, I can, you know, do a two-and-a-half-minute breath hold at 20 metres, but, you know, you don't need to do that sort of diving down here in Victoria. I was going to say, um, he was talking about 
all the muscles we use. Mostly James just uses his fingers, trigger muscles, eh? That's about it. <laughs> no, uh, I reckon we got time for one more, guys, and then we'll have a, have some more just informally when we have some beers and stuff, if you like. Is there any last question? Uh, any tips and tricks for getting kingfish off the shore? We've done oh. a couple of unsuccessful trips and would like to do a successful one. <laughs> Actually, Sven's recently been having some success with the old kingies. You'd be surprised where they turn up. I've been on shore dives... Um, around Victoria and they will just rush you out of nowhere so sometimes it's literally just being in the right place at the right time sometimes it's 10 trips out with you know one time that's successful um, you really just have to put your work in um, shore diving uh, a really great place for that's off Cape Shank um, just make sure your equipment's up to scratch because the current runs there you know make sure you're fit enough for it uh, like Luke said, if you've got a drop anchor, that'll really help heaps. Um, and yeah, make sure your fins are good enough to propel you through the water. So, I mean, using more like a composite or a carbon is really going to help versus using a plastic blade. Um, but, I mean, generally shore diving, most people will try and target them either um, at Cape Shank or off Phillip Island. Um, yeah. I think I think one of the hardest things with spearfishing is calming down when excitement's just blowing you away. Because when you're down and all of a sudden kingfish come out of nowhere, there's not a spearfisherman alive that you know doesn't you don't where you don't get a rush. It's controlling that feeling and just slowing down a little bit. You know, as an indication, last season I spent eight dives hunting kings in early season before I shot one in January. Uh, I then spent another eight dives seeing them but not shooting them and then I got three more in April after that. So it's hard work. Go to New Zealand, get it under the belt. Just <laughs> And just quickly, uh, learn how to actually play a kingfish. Um, like look up Luke Potts' uh, how-to video. That helps a lot because um, the first one that I shot when I was on a shore dive, I was in five metres of water. It was nowhere you'd expect them to be. The thing would have been easy metre to a metre ten. The shot was fine. It's just I got so excited I tried to rip that thing right up into my hands and it pulled straight through the fish and they were gone. They, they weren't coming back. So if you really learn how to play the fish properly, even with a poor shot, you can still land them. Yeah, that's uh, how to spearfish on Vimeo and I think, you can use the Noob Spiro code and save some cash on that one. Um, there's Just quickly, there's two club presidents here tonight. We've got Kim from uh, Southern Freediving. So if you're interested in joining a spearfishing club, go and see that man. Or Sven is the president of Club Spearfish. Both clubs sound pretty good. I'm quite envious because where I am, there's um, the Tweed, um, which is like an hour away, and we've got another one that's forming an hour north. But if, we're, if there was one local, I'd be, I'd be in it. Hope you enjoyed today's interview. Um, I, I sort of warmed up as the night went on down there in Melbourne, and uh, the boys just—they've they, got info for days. It was—it's an absolute cracker of a place to visit, and just head down for a sparing holiday. Um, and you, you know, Melbourne's a beautiful place. The food's awesome as well. Um, three clubs you can join in Melbourne were the Geelong Freedivers, obviously Club Spearfish with Sven there, and the Southern Freedivers. So the three fantastic clubs in such an area, uh, such a small area, is, you're pretty sport for choice. And the, the people down there are a great, a great bunch. And um, 
what a place to learn spearing. The water's cold, and and it's it's not as dirty as they say. Though I was surprised. Like uh, maybe I fluked there and got some good conditions, but um, it, it was it was pretty good. I really enjoyed myself in a five mil wetsuit. Anyway, next in the next fortnight, we that's two weeks by the way. We are off to chat with James Beckman and learn all about how to tune southern bluefin tuna, which is a real a real awesome fish to get onto when they're running. And um, the South Australian guys have had them for a few years. The Melbourne guys are only really just starting to figure them out. And James has got a ton of interview, uh, info in this interview. If you're interested in chasing big fish and you've all you've done is chase reefies, then this is a really good interview to listen to. So I'd encourage you to come back in two weeks and listen to James Beckman chat, Southern Bluefin Tuna. Catch ya. See you then. Today's podcast brought to you by Audible. Now, you can check out uh, Audible. It's basically audiobooks. If you like the Noob Spirit podcast, you're probably going to like listening to a book. So go to audibletrial.com forward slash to get a free audiobook download and a free 30-day trial. Now, some of the audiobooks that Turbo and I both like are the 4-Hour Series by Tim Ferriss. Now, there's the 4-Hour Body. For our work week, the four-hour shift, they're all good. His latest book is uh, Tools of Titans. It's unfortunately not an audio version yet, but definitely check out uh, the four-hour work week. It's friggin' hilarious. I also would like to listen to The Undisputed Truth by uh, Mike Tyson. I think that would be a great uh, read. And also Bigger, Leaner, Stronger by Michael Matthews. It's a it's the simple science of building the ultimate male body, and uh, I definitely need that. But uh, you can check this out. Get a book for free. Uh, just pump in audibletrial.com forward slash Noob Spiro. Give it a blast. Check it out. Support the Noob Spiro podcast. Is your major issue spearfishing all about equalizing? i got good news for you. We've been pumping Ted Hardy's immersion freediving equalizing classes for a while now for free on the Noob Spiro podcast because we love it that much. It's effective. Now, his Roadmap to Friends will class is absolutely excellent. It's a full-on video course that will help you to master the technique of Frenzel because you're probably doing Valsalva. Now, Ted's sweetened it up a little bit more. He's got a 15% discount code. Go to noobspero.com forward slash Ted, get full access to the Roadmap to Frenzel equalizing class, and if you don't learn how to Frenzel within 30 days, he'll give you a full money-back refund. Now, everyone wants to get beyond that 15 to 40 foot mark, that five to 10 meter mark, and you don't want to be going upright to have to equalize. You need to learn the frenzel equalizing technique, and the best way to do that is spend a little bit of time doing Ted Hardy's course. Come to noobspiro.com forward slash Ted. Get a 15% discount. Enjoy. Enjoy.